0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Can I tell you a story? New intro, same format. Episode 116 of the Unplugged Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Velasquez, scribe for S.E. Scoops. I'm going to quickly go over the format and you will be rewarded with this episode here and you'll be rewarded with a interview on Thursday early evening, which will be... And Wrestling Twitter is our usual open. And then we are going to close it up with Three positives and negatives from the WWE, which excludes the entire bloodline angle and Cody Rhodes, as well as AEW's three positives and negatives with the promotion going forward, excluding MJF, Brian Danielson, Hangman Page, and Jon Moxley. I hope you're going to love what you are going to hear. With all that being said, let's roll. <laughs> The story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. right, Wrestling Twitter. I've got a lot of content since it's been a little while since I recorded. And we're going to start with March 4th. And here we go. There's a lot of Omos versus Brock Lesnar hate. You don't want to see Brock Lesnar fight a giant? You don't want to see a giant humanize Brock Lesnar? I get it, you watch one PWG highlight tape, and you think wrestling is only flips and talking about people's deceased relatives. But this is great. Omos versus Brock Lesnar is great. Omos. We're talking about a guy who is stiffer than Giant Gonzalez. He's stiffer than the great Kali. And he's very, very green, much like all of those giants that we have seen in the past and in this WrestleMania scenario. Do you really want to watch Brock Lesnar go through Omos in about two and a half minutes and potentially retire off into the sunset? I don't know about you, but I sure don't. And yes, I have watched a handful of PWG highlight tapes. But flips aren't exactly what, what flips my trigger. Ditto with talking about people's deceased relatives. I just love good wrestling and quality stories. And this right here is neither. So, my friend, and you are a fairly reputable person in the industry, but we are not going to clout you today. I'm terribly sorry, but that take was GD awful. Let's move on. This is in terms of AEW Revolution. No CM Punk? We sit through an f an hour of that match, which to its credit was great, in parentheses, for no Punk? absolutely rotten this company is a sinking ship aw revolution was arguably the best pay-per-view that has been put on since 2021 i would say it's better than forbidden door and it was probably a step or two below below all out and probably step above full gear so for you to sit through an hour of a match, which, by the way, was the match of the night in most people's cases, if it wasn't, I mean, it could have been the Elite versus House of Black, that's cool, could have been John Moxley versus Hangman Page, that's cool, but for you to expect a return and then call the company a sinking ship in after the fact is asinine, my friend. I'm not going to give you any more clout whatsoever, I'm just... You know, you just gave Tony Khan and AEW your $50. Either that, or you scrambled it through some random pirated take, and for that, I hope you're thrown in jail. Here we go. Here is an anonymous message to Mr. Cameron Hawkins, which I'm thankful he didn't answer. Actually, he did answer, but I definitely didn't add this on. So we buried the elite last night because we wanted to put a guy in his group over that wanted to leave AEW in the first place. Well, the group in AEW that... Wanted to leave in the first place, that being Malachi Black and Buddy Matthews, that's potentially, that's about maybe a third, right? But burying the elite. Did we bury the elite? My assumption is the Young Bucks are going to move on to the tag team division after the Dynamite Triple Trios match with JAS and House of Black, and Kenny Omega's going to move back to the singles division. I don't call that a burying. In Twitter, know your vocabulary when it comes to the word Barry. This one might be my favorite. Someone wrote in regards to the John Moxley hangman page match nobody cried about Abdul the Butcher, grow a pair. This person replied, and he's been in, he's had a lot of heat this week. No one watched Abdul the Butcher. Only the hardest of the hardcores know who he is. Again, I am not going to state your name, kind sir, but what I am going to tell you is you are either the Owner or president of a website. You run an actual reputable website. And you're telling me that no one has watched Abdullah the Butcher. And only the hardest of the hardcores know who he is. Wrestling historians. Now, if you are going to run a website, you should be somewhat of a wrestling historian. You should be going back into time. And for you to claim for all of us that nobody watched a specific person... That, my friends, is definitely signs that you need to be abolished, and we should abolish you, and I I get a feeling that the way that you've been treated this week, you're going to be abolished very, very soon. All right, let's move on. This was the day after AEW Revolution. Kids had their real fun already. Now it's the men's turn. So, the kids had their fun, AEW Revolution, and the men's turn was WWE Raw. Raw last week. I will say that Jey Uso and Sami Zayn with the, with the turn at the end. That was definitely a follow-through. John Cena made an appearance and will be wrestling Austin Theory at WrestleMania 39. We had a Seth Rollins-Logan Paul interaction. Kevin Owens and Solo Sequoia to further the bloodline story. Now, if you want to call just a random episode of WWE Raw, quote-unquote, the men's turn, as opposed to what you witnessed the night before at AWW Revolution, you've got another thing coming to you. Alright. So, let's move on to this. In regards to the Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega match at the Grand Slam event in 2021, this was one of AEW's worst decisions. Giving away one of AEW's most anticipated matches with zero story and on free tv there was a little story to it i will say that three weeks prior brian danielson has had made his debut at AEW all out and was coming for the elite he said he was going to kick some effing heads in and this match turned out to be one of the better matches we've seen this decade so there was there was a little story to it and these two have wrestled in the past this was a nice quality one-on-one showdown between two of the best in the world Do I agree that it should have been on free TV? This is something you could have sold for a pay-per-view. But I will also retort and say that AEW Grand Slam was arguably the biggest dynamite that they had ever put on. It was in the middle of a tennis stadium with the largest crowd in AEW history from an attendance perspective. And I'm assuming the gate was pretty solid, too. So for them to give it away on free TV, this was justified in this situation. So you, sir, go back to your Twitter home. I believe I have a couple more left. Here we go. In regards once again to the AEW Revolution pay-per-view, this pay-per-view was pretty bad. It gave Hell in the Cell 2019 a run for its money. Hell in the Cell 2019 from the WWE is what caused me to stop watching WWE Raw and SmackDown on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, I have not watched a full episode of either of those television shows since October of 2019. We could go back to the Brock Lesnar squashing of Kofi Kofi Kingston in seven or eight seconds that really lit up the entire internet wrestling community. And I'm sure it definitely offended a lot of folks who, let's face it, we do know that Kofi Kingston's run was a little, little underwhelming. However, to have it squashed in five to six seconds just like that was a pretty shitty decision in my own personal opinion. And then... Of course, we saw Hell in a Cell 2019 where Seth Rollins versus The Fiend, and you're going to be hearing a lot about Bray Wyatt here momentarily, was one of the worst matches of the 2010s, definitely in the WWE. So for you to compare a pay-per-view that was highly lauded by a lot of people, myself included, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Maybe you didn't, but for, to, for you to throw it on the exact same platform as one of the worst pay-per-views of the last... 15 years, once again, is ludicrous. I believe I have one more. This is it. So, and this one arguably could also be the worst. There are four pictures here from the ECW run when the WWE tried to rejuvenate it, I believe it was in 2006. So think like Mike Knox, Kelly Kelly debut, and then bringing back the over-the-hill gang from ECW, the Sam Sandman, Tommy Dreamer, etc. WWE, in parentheses by the way after this, the real ECW was so underrated and it shows pictures of Jack Swagger and the ECW logo. What that ECW gave you was arguably the worst pay-per-view in WWE history with December to dismember the ECW version. The sci-fi version of ECW was very watered down. You could tell that Vince McMahon just kind of wanted to drag that ECW through the mud and just clearly state that WWE was the superior product. The television rating said so. He would put the occasional, like the Kurt Angle down there, the Bobby Lashley, the CM Punk. Okay, that's fine. You can put a name to it. But in terms of drawing power and how much money that, that ECW actually made was... Very, very minute. So for you to call this iteration of ECW underrated is laughable, my friend. And that's how I'm going to conclude Wrestling Twitter and their GD awful takes. So let's move on. Three positives and negatives. Let's start with AEW. Since I usually start with the WWE, let's flip it around. I'm going to start out with the positives of AEW first, and then we're going to go into the three not-so-positive things and there's a lot of stuff in in the gray area that could have mentioned here, and I'll give you some honorable mentions towards the end in terms of the positives and the negatives. So the positives for AEW, number one is that Powerhouse Hobbs is your new TNT champion. That is a definite positive. I'm going to get into how we got there in the negative section as well, but the fact that you're giving the championship to a guy that you have been rumored to be pushing for the last five months is definitely a step in the right direction. Now you have to give him some more freedom, some more character. You, I think you have to put him on TV every other week to defend this championship. You need to keep this as your workhorse title. It's kind of flipped back and forth between the TNT and now the newly named AEW International Champion, which was formerly the All-Atlantic. But powerhouse Hobbs needs to run with this ball for a little while. And I know that the TNT Championship has been played in the hot potato section of AEW. However, there needs to be a little bit of longevity to it. And if you can defend it on an every-other-week basis as opposed to an every-week basis... That won't wear down the character of powerhouse Hobbs as much. So he can definitely continue to establish dominance and maybe elevate himself to the main event in the next year or two. The jury's out on that. We shall see. However, it's a great step that we get a new fresh character with a new championship. Jamie Hayter is number two as AEW Women's Champion. She has been tremendous. And Britt Baker has taken a little bit of a backseat. She's tried to kind of take some of the aura that Jamie has acquired since becoming the champion, but I think there's been a lot of personality shown in Jamie's character. She has had some tremendous matches. She got to main event in one of the better women's matches in AEW in AEW history. Now let's just see where she can run with this. And she successfully defended her championship against Soraya and Ruby Soho at AEW Revolution. And I'm looking forward to seeing where this is going. I'm not necessarily looking forward to watching the outcast stable of Ruby Soho, Soraya, and Tony Storm. But I do believe that Jamie Hayter can continue her ascension. The crowd absolutely love her. She sells like a maniac. She has tremendous offense, great facials, whole nine yards. She is the total package. Let her at least run through to Forbidden Door where we could potentially get a match with Mercedes Monet, formerly Sasha Banks. I'm all for that. Number three in the positive sections is FTR. No, they haven't wrestled in months. But the last two times that they've been in an AW ring, that was at AW Revolution to come out and confront the guns, and then on Wednesday to announce that they were back, the crowd responses were tremendous. They got the loudest response in Sacramento on Dynamite. Now the question is, do they sign a long-term deal with the company? Dax Harwood on his podcast has stated that they have not signed anything. Nothing has changed just yet. He's been a pretty straight shooter on said podcast. So we're hoping that they get these championships away from the guns in the next month to month and a half before their deal is up. And then we can see them run with the ball in the tag team division. We'll probably get the Young Bucks to come back to the tag division. They're going to likely tee it up at either all out or double or nothing. I prefer all out. Maybe we'll see it at full gear. I think you can delay it that long. But now you have to figure out the balance again between the trios and the tag division. So you can't do the the flip-flopping. Ortiz and Santana. I know Santana's due back here in about a month or two. I'm not sure what their contract status and situation is. However, that could be a great tag team that could Give FTR a run for their money when they return. You got to heat them up first. I think that's possible. The Lucha Bros, as in terms of the chemistry that they've had with FTR, it hasn't been the greatest. However, they are a tremendous duo, and let's see if the third time is a charm when you put those when you put those two together or those four men together. One thing's for sure, though, FTR is a big shot in the arm for a tag division that needs it because it's them and the acclaimed. Those are the two top tag teams right now in AEW. I am not counting the Young Bucks at the moment. They are currently entrenched into the trios division, so we want to see them back in the tag division. And that's the other thing, again, the whole flip-flopping We need to keep some consistency here. Build some new trios. Do it with the three singles wrestlers from a stable. And then let's isolate the tag division once again. I think that's super important. That's another part of the gray area. Things I didn't mention were Jungle Boy Jack Perry, who had a tremendous win in AEW Revolution. I thought the match was good. I didn't like him waffling before he hit Christian Cage. He should have just freed up and just hit that concerto on him. Put him in the coffin, laid it to rest, but he had a lot of confliction. I wanted to see that killer instinct. I don't there needs to be just a little bit more for him to ascend to the to the to the main event level or even just a step or two below. So you got that. And then you got Ricky Starks right now is another one that you could potentially put in the positive. I'm just a little skeptical with him now going back to Juice Robinson, who everybody knows my thoughts on Juice Robinson. I don't have to really go into detail there. I just hope that. It's a short blip in the radar, and you can continue his ascension into better feuds, and hopefully, he's done with JAS. Let's go to the three negatives of AEW here the way powerhouse Hobbs won the TNT championship. Let me first preface this by saying I do not want any internet heat with QT Marshall whatsoever. I've already had a little bit of heat with QT Marshall. You can look it up in my Twitter archives. We've had a nice little back and forth, and I don't need any heat and vice versa. I respect him tremendously as a trainer. I do not want to see him on television, especially representing Powerhouse Hobbs, a gentleman who does not need a manager and if he did need a manager or a second bring taz back out of the booth i think that would be a pretty sweet judy was boring hello then judy discovered jumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pretty sweet duo. You want to one-up it? Let's bring Stokely Hathaway into the conversation. Why not give Stokely Hathaway the rub and let him manage powerhouse Hobbs? And lead that TNT charge. Instead, you have to give me a callback to, what was it, four, five, six months ago on a random Rampage episode where QT Marshall vowed to help powerhouse Hobbs in any way possible defeat Ricky Starks or to give him a favor one day. And this was the favor by helping him beat Wardlow in a street fight. And this brings QT Marshall back from behind the scenes. I'm hoping this is short term. I'm very nervous that it's not, especially that they're getting a segment on Wednesday night. Let powerhouse Hobbs have his glory. Let him further a story with either by himself or let's bring Stokely Hathaway into the mix. I would love that. Number two, Jeff Jarrett's getting more title shots and more camera time. Are you serious? I'm well aware. He is a legend, or at least in his own mind. He's been in the business for over close to 35 years. Rest in peace to his father, Jerry. I'm wondering to myself if that's a big reason why he has this situation where he is right now in terms of getting random title shots where he's had two tag title shots with Jay Lethal. Obviously unsuccessful in both, thankfully. Now he's getting an AEW International title match with Orange Cassidy on Wednesday night. There are a lot of people that are a little bit nervous that he's going to be the AEW International champion when this is over. Orange Cassidy, I believe, has won 22 consecutive singles matches. So this would not be a good look for a just recently signed to the company 55-year-old Jeff Jarrett who in the peak of his career was the WCW World Champion on a sinking ship, or when he was running TNA and giving himself world championship world championships? He does not need to be in the limelight. This is this is him using his stroke, and yes, pun is definitely intended here. This is a guy who was in the WWE for three weeks before he left. He went into GCW, wrestled Effie, defeated Effie, and left. Did not give him. His 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 proper put over in terms of Fe should have definitely gotten a rematch and defeated Jeff Jarrett. There should have been a two out of three even, and Fe definitely should have advanced in terms of GCW storylines. It did nothing for his character. So I think this guy, obviously, with a lot of people who have been in main event situations, as well as just those who are in the legend spot. I'm using legends in parentheses here with Jeff Jarrett. They have a tendency to have an ego and. There's probably more than, meets the eye, more than meets the eye with his relationship with Tony Khan, and that makes me extremely nervous. So, if Jeff Jarrett wins on Wednesday night, eesh, it's going to be hard for me to watch the rest of that episode and take it seriously, if I'm being honest with you. Because in no storyline situation should this guy be even sniffing any sort of singles championship, at this age, and with all the talent that resides in that division. Third and final negative for the A- for EW booking situation is the turtle the turtle situation with Jade Cargo. She is moving at snail's pace. She has decimated the entire AEW TBS women's division. She's decimated almost every woman that's been thrown in front of her. All that's left are the big names. There's the Britt Bakers, the Jamie Haters. I believe she defeated Thunder Rosa in the semifinals of the TBS tournament. So a Tony Storm would be would be another contender in this scenario. They're just delaying the inevitable. I think they're waiting for Chris Statlander to come back from injury to take the title off of her. But Statlander's had two bad knees. That extreme that makes me extremely nervous. Coming off of two ACL surgeries over the last handful of years, just what type of health is she in? And can you trust her, especially coming back from said rehab in carrying the TBS championship for a while? And while you shoot potentially Jade. Cargill to the moon in the AEW Women's Championship, if you want to call that the moon. A Jade Cargill-Jamie Hayter match would be money. I think you could pull that off at Full Gear. But, and I don't know if her progress is being, it's definitely being stunted by not wrestling on a weekly basis. This is where, and I will be completely honest with you, I haven't watched much of Darker Dark Elevation, but I'm pretty sure she hasn't wrestled there. Give her an independent date or two, just to get some reps in because she's still very inexperienced. She needs more time in the ring. And the only way for you to get better is to get the repetitions. You can only do this so much in practice, but you need to get the reps in front of crowds and working against experienced performers, which she has done, by the way, with all of the TBS championship matches that she's had. She has wrestled some very experienced performers like a Madison rain, and she's likely getting of Valkyrie on Wednesday, in Canada, on AEW Dynamite. Those are my three positives and negatives for AEW, excluding the main event picture. Let's move on to the WWE three positives and negatives, excluding The Bloodline and Cody Rhodes. Let's begin with the positives. Rhea Ripley, in her ascension to the top of the women's division, it has not been a pretty picture, yet she's finally there. She's three weeks away from getting the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship and being elevated to that throne right there with the Bianca Belair's of the world, which she's kind of in that gray area as well, where I'll actually get to that in a second as well. But the promos back and forth have been decent with Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair. Charlotte Flair has looked a little lost over the last month, month and a half, and that could be due to her competition, especially the match with Shotzi Blackheart on Friday Night SmackDown, which I've seen the YouTube clips of, and it's a cringy sight, folks, so if you want to go see it, seek it out. But we definitely need to see some, some new blood at the top, and I think that if you can turn either Rio Ripley face or continue her heel dominance over on the SmackDown side, when I'm assuming there's going to be a draft held here after WrestleMania, it's super easy that you have her, you have Bianca, let let them run the shows. You, We have the four horsewomen, Off to the side, they can wrestle inside feuds, but now you got to build up women's contenders, and again, that's easier said than done, but at least you're putting the right person at the top. Number two, Walter, or should we just call him again there? Here's the deal. Will he continue to hold the Intercontinental title for a while, or are we going to move him into the main event picture? One way or another, they've done a fantastic job of protecting this guy. He was pinned at the 2019 Survivor Series. We're all just going to forget that. Because ever since then, it's just been Ilya Dragunov, I believe, who has pinned him. And I think that's it. So, Ilya Dragunov, I believe, is the only other person to hold a pinfall victory over Walter slash Gunther in the WWE. And that's the way that it should be. This guy is a very unique presentation. He's big. He moves well. And he can wrestle with anybody. He does a tremendous job. When it comes to working with with smaller guys, look at his matches with Ricochet, Pete Dunne. I mentioned Ilya Dragunov, who's also small. I believe Jordan Devlin, he worked with down in NXT, Kushida. This guy can work. He has a decent enough microphone presence and just the overall presentation. What's not to love about this guy? I think... Think he might lose the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania. Who knows if it's going to be a three-way with him, Sheamus, and Drew McIntyre. But if it is, you can have one of those guys pin the other, and then Walter can move on to maybe a main event scene down the line at SummerSlam or Survivor Series. I'd love that. Number three, Bobby Lashley has been freed up. That to me, means that he's going to be getting a new opponent in WrestleMania. He announced this on Twitter, and there's a big reason why that he is in the positive section. There really wasn't much of a positive perspective the rest of the way from the WWE, excluding the Bloodline and Cody Rhodes, because Bianca Belair has been squashing every woman on the entire Raw roster. Okay. Asuka really hasn't been built up the greatest. I have a feeling she might win at WrestleMania, and I would like that, but you have to give her more meat on the bone, so I can't really add that in here. For a second, I had Logan Paul. Just turning him heel was a tremendous move by the WWE, and it most certainly was, even though his promo last Monday was not exactly the best way to present yourself. When you're saying that you've done more in a few months than Seth Rollins has done over the course of his WWE career— I think with experience and time, Logan Paul is going to get better. He has the athleticism and fans love to boo him. So had to boot him off. We're just thankful that Bobby Lashley has been freed up for a better WrestleMania opponent. Speaking of which, number one on the negative list, Bray Wyatt as a presentation. Now, I was going to record this podcast a couple of days ago, but since you've all heard the news on what's happened with him, there's backstage reports from Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful, as well as some other rumblings within Wrestling Observer News, that Bray Wyatt has been removed from his match with Bobby Lashley at the moment. That's according to Wrestling Observer News yet Sean Ross Sapp is reporting that Bray Wyatt is having some injury issues and this whole thing is physical, and that's why he did not show up to the Madison Square Garden house show last night or on Sunday night with the WWE. Let's face it. It has now been a little over six months since Bray Wyatt has come back. It was October, I believe, the 8th at Extreme Rules in Philadelphia to a loud, loud ovation. That presentation was cool. Okay, but now for the last five, six months, he's been rehashing all of his other characters from his past. It hasn't looked good at all. The guys wrestled one match and it was against L.A. Knight in the Mountain Dew piss break match at the Royal Rumble, which the most memorable thing about it was Uncle Howdy jumping off of a stage and missing L.A. Knight by five feet. Horrible. This guy has been rambling promo after promo after promo after promo and all of these little nuances. And again, it's just been over my head and over a lot of people's head. It's just hiding the fact that when he gets in between the ring ropes, he's just not a good performer. I think with time off, this is is much needed for him and he can stop being so complex when he comes back. Just keep it simple. And then get in the ring and show some chops. I think that's what that's what we all want as fans. Just show us that you can go on top of this and get rid of the Hocus Pocus stuff. Go back to a Cape Fear presentation. Very similar to your first character. We just don't want to see this. And obviously the WWE did not want to see this because you're not on the WrestleMania card. I'm going to have more on this with Top Rope Nation Extra tomorrow, which you can listen to if you're a Patreon subscriber. We'll get to that at the end. Number two in the negative side of things, damage control. That'd be Bailey, Io Sky, and Dakota Kai. We'll call her Io Shirai because that's what I like to do. These three ladies, ever since they were formed, the group was formed at SummerSlam back in early August, they have not been a big deal whatsoever. Io Sky and Dakota Kai have held the Tag Team Championships, the women's tag team titles, that is, twice, I believe. And both times have been short reigns, and they just recently lost these to Lita and Becky Lynch. If you're going to throw these three women in a scenario where all they're going to do is be fed to Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, Lita, and potentially Trish Stratus at WrestleMania, what does that mean for... These three talented women, specifically Io Sky and Bailey, who's essentially been the same Karen character over the last two to three years, ever since the pandemic, they're not a big deal. They're just a simple mid-card act. Again, this conglomerate was squashed by Bianca Belair in a solo performance at Extreme Rules and a ladder match. I can't take these women seriously. I cannot remember which one of the three was pinned at Survivor Series by Becky Lynch, but. They also lost there. I can't take them seriously. The the WWE women's hierarchy looks like this, especially in my eyes. It's Bianca Belair. It's Becky Lynch. It's Charlotte Flair. You got Rhea Ripley just hovering under. We have Ronda Rousey also just hovering under. And the rest are just a gobble of stew. It's just... It's completely, it's just completely asinine to me that these three women, who you could have presented as a much bigger deal when you formed the group back in early August, that now they're just jobbers to the stars. And that's just not a good look. That just says a lot about the WWE women's division. Let's move on to the third and final negative here. Brock Lesnar versus Omos which I mentioned earlier in the show. I don't really need to go too far deep into this, but you couldn't find anything better than Brock Lesnar versus versus Omos at WrestleMania. I have a weird feeling that Bobby Lashley is going to wipe out Omos in the next week or two, and we're going to get that Lesnar-Lashley match one more time at WrestleMania, and we'll see what happens from there. But to put a very inexperienced big man against one, arguably, yeah, against the biggest act... Over the last decade, Brock Lesnar has been a a humongous draw. and I think other than Roman Reigns, and I don't even know if I can throw Roman Reigns in this category, Brock Lesnar has been the biggest draw for the WWE since 2010, or his return to the the promotion. There are a lot of other negatives in here. I, I went over the whole Logan Paul, Seth Rollins deal where I just don't like the build to it at all. I'm not really a fan of the Judgment Day and how they've been portrayed. Dom has been interesting for the most part, but I look forward to watching him getting beat by his dad at WrestleMania. Congratulations to Rey Mysterio Jr. for getting thrown into the Hall of Fame in the WWE wing of things. Hopefully, you'll be in a real Hall of Fame one day. I can't wait to see that. But outside of that, there just isn't much going on in the WWE from a positive light. I can't call what John Cena and Austin Theory are doing anything in a positive light is really not making Austin theory look good. And I'm going to really talk about that once again tomorrow with Kyle Ross on top rope nation extra. So I'll send the link to that. I'll put it at the bottom here, which should be in the show notes on Wednesday morning. You'll be hearing this on either Monday night or Tuesday morning, but the updated version of the notes will be on the bottom of this show on Wednesday morning. My final announcement is it's an announcement to an announcement. Episode 120, I will be making another announcement that is going to be quite pleasing for those who have been listening to me and supporting me over the last two and a half years on my wrestling podcast journey I truly appreciate you I'm going to take advantage of an opportunity I'm not signing anywhere however this has been something I have been talking about doing for the last year and some change and if you've been if you've stuck with me since the Maria Rose days you know exactly what's coming up and it's likely going to be happening here at the end of April or early May so what I ask you to do is stay tuned again we're going to have an interview drop on thursday the thursday evening which you can listen to as well i'm not going to tell you who it is i'm just going to tell you that you're going to truly enjoy the subject that will be on the other side of this podcast as we'll be going back and forth waxing nostalgic about the world of pro wrestling as well as what she is doing these days if that gives you a hint. Jesse C. Velasquez on Twitter, Wrestling You and You on Twitter, Google, Apple, and Spotify is where you can find this show. S.E. Scoops is where you can find my writing. I'm going to be making a switch there as well, as I'm going to hopefully be starting to write on Saturdays now, as opposed to Sundays. My schedule has become a little bit congested on Sundays over the last couple of weeks, and it's going to be that way moving forward. So, Look for my pieces there, as well as everybody else's pieces on SE SC Scoops. They do a wonderful job. Check out their YouTube channel. That's where you can find Top Rope Nation. And their videos as their video content as well. And Ryan Droste, of course, who is one of the heads of the SE SC Scoops writing department. Tremendous work, as always. That has been episode 116 of the Unplugged Ro- Pro Wrestling Podcast. And as always, we'll see you on the flip side. Carry on my wayward side.